0: At some point, we all have had to face the bitter, cold reality that there are a lot of things that we don't do as well as other people, and some things others can do that we can't do at all. And it's a hard reality to have to face, but it's a necessary reality. And at some point in your life, you've had to face that. It may have been early in your life, it may have been later. For me, it was pretty early on when I realized I could not be a spy, nor could I be in the NBA. Uh, I don't know which one I wanted more, but uh, I wanted both of those things, and it it was very early on that I realized that. And then as I went on in life more and more, I realized things I just wasn't able to do, as well as other people, and some things I wasn't able to do at all. Uh, And that, we have to get to the point where that's That's okay, you know. Uh, But we can get pretty self conscious about those things. We can feel pretty inferior when we compare ourselves to those other people that can do those things that we wish we could do, or do those things that, you know, they do better than us. And unfortunately, for a lot of Christians, those kind of feelings, those same inferior feelings, they can cross over into our spiritual life pretty easily. And they can affect the things that every Christian is equally called to do and equally capable of doing. One of the most common areas that gets affected, spiritually speaking, is the area of prayer. You know, a lot, of, a lot of Christians just don't feel able to maybe pray as well as other believers. They don't feel capable of praying in public or even in a small group setting because they just don't think that they They can pray as well as other Christians. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to throughout the years of my ministry where where that's uh, been communicated, something they struggle with. And that's tragic. It's tragic because prayer is one of the biggest sources of power that God has graciously given all believers access to. And it's also a command that he's given all believers to continually do. It's a command. It's not only a privilege. And so it's tragic when any believer feels less than able or less than capable to pray. To pray in any sort of corporate setting or public setting. The prayer of Elijah is a prayer that we would all do well to heed and to apply, and that's where we're going to be today as we continue on in our practical prayers series, the prayer of Elijah, and it really is very practical in what it provides and communicates. Before we get to the actual prayer of Elijah, I want to stop first and look at another passage of Scripture that points back to the prayer of Elijah, James chapter 5 And the last part of verse 16, 16b to verse 18, the brother of Jesus, James, says this, the prayer of a righteous person, and that means any righteous person, Uh, read any believer, any Christian, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. It's effective. It's powerful. And then he gives a really good example of that, Verse 17, he says, Elijah was a human being as we are. Really important to note that. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly, passionately, fervently, that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land Produced its fruit. What we can take away from what James said there, I would give it this summary statement. There's no superhero named super prayer. <laughs> There's no superhero named super prayer. There's no such thing as a super prayer or a super Christian. Doesn't exist. Let's just get that out of our heads right away. James was talking about the power of prayer that is available for every believer to access and experience. And the ministry of prayer he was talking about here is is something that we are all to serve one another with. And to really drive his point home, he reminded his readers, fellow Jewish Christians, very, very Jewish Christians of one of the most revered heroes of their history and of their faith, Elijah. And he points back to one of the most amazing episodes in his legendary ministry, which we're going to consider today. The main point that he was really trying to to get across was that Elijah wasn't actually a superhero at all. He was an ordinary human being with ordinary struggles, but he knew some things about prayer. And what he knew about prayer and the way he prayed could and should be applied to every believer's prayer life. And that's what we're going to focus on today because that is true for us as well. Now, before we zero in on the actual prayer that Elijah prayed, we're going to look at what is a very big context surrounding that prayer. So so buckle up, bear with me, let's get into this together. This is a big context that surrounds the prayer, but we have to dig into this because the prayer itself won't make quite as much sense and it won't be quite as significant unless we look at the surrounding context. And also we're going to pick up some good uh, truth to glean along the way. All right. So getting started with the context around Elijah's actual prayer. 1 Kings 17.1, uh, and by the way, all the scripture that I take us to or read will be from the csb translation first Kings 17 1 god's word says this now elijah the tishbite from the gilead settlers said to ahab who was king as the lord god of israel lives in whose presence i stand there will be no dew or rain during these years and james told us how much that is three and a half years There will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Wow, Elijah, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? What's the deal? Well, this was in direct response to the worship of the false god Baal that King Ahab polluted Israel with. Baal was believed to be the god of storms and rain. So, the longer the drought dragged on, the more obvious it would become that Baal was not a God at all. That only Yahweh was God. And that He and He alone was in complete control of every part of reality. And that includes details like the weather. God doesn't do anything randomly, does He? He doesn't do anything by coincidence. His actions are always intentional and ordered and purposeful. So what may, maybe to some seemed like this severe but random drought, oh, I, I don't know why this drought is happening. Why is, it, why is it coming? Why is it going to last so long? It wasn't random. It wasn't coincidental. It was purposeful, and God was using it to get everyone's attention. You see, because here's what God does. God often uses the dry times in our life, to draw us to him and make us dependent on him. Do you agree with that? It's not not easy to hear or to accept, but it is a reality that we need to accept, that we need to agree with. We don't like dry times. We like times of flourishing. We like times of abundance and and just obvious blessing. We like the rivers flowing. We like the crops flourishing. We like the really good and the easy and the comfortable times. We all do. That's just part of our humanity. But God uses, frequently uses, sins, sins dry times into our life and uses those dry times in our life to wake us up and to get our attention because often, church, you know this, only the dry times get us away from our distractions. And so he uses those dry, dreary times, those, those discouraging times to draw us to him away from everything we've been drawn to and to make us dependent on him and him alone rather than all the lesser things that we have been depending on. And that's certainly what God was doing here. It's what he's done time and time again throughout history. It's what he's done in your life. You know it to be true, and I know it. But God doesn't just do that. Oh, Praise God, he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just deal in the dry times. Aren't you thankful for that? God is so gracious and He is so merciful, and the drought that He uses never lasts forever, never lasts forever. First Kings 18:1 through2. Jumping ahead, obviously. After a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Long time indeed. Here's what God says to his servant Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab. This is after he was hiding from Ahab, by the way. I will send rain on the surface of the land. There's God's faithfulness. There's his promises. There's his goodness. There's his blessing. There's his provision. I will send rain on the surface of the land. I sent drought. I sent famine. But I am now sending rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. So he, he goes and he presents and he, he's getting ready to, to give the good news. He's getting ready to say that rain's coming. He's getting ready to say that the, the drought will end. And here's the encounter. Verse 17. Look ahead with me to verse 17. 1 Kings 18, 17. And we're going to be here a while in this section of of the passage and then of the story and of the account will be in verses 17 all the way down to verse 35. Verse 17 says this, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Sin prompts us to play the blame game, doesn't it? It's the same song and dance that began in the garden, you know, with Adam and Eve, when they sinned, and God did his normal routine that he had done, where he walks with them in the cool of the day, but they were hiding, and he called out to Adam, where are you, Adam, where are you? Of course, he knew. He wanted Adam to confess. He wanted Adam to be transparent, to be honest, to own up to what had happened. Adam said, I was hiding. When I heard the sound of you, I hid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit of the tree that I commanded you not to? Well, uh, yes, but but it, it was this woman that you gave to me. She made me eat. And he looks at Eve. Eve? It was the serpent. I mean, it's the blame game. That's what sin does. Sin prompts us to shift blame and and to deflect any personal responsibility. It's never my fault and my fault alone that I have sinned, that I have chosen this this horrible thing or done this, this terrible deed. It's the way I was raised. I was brought up a certain way. I'm the victim. I mean, how many times are we hearing that? That is the song of our society. But it's also not new. Nothing is new under the sun, Solomon said. That's what sin does. It causes us to deflect personal responsibility. And we see it here with with Ahab. Is that you? You're the one ruining Israel. In verse 18, here's Elijah's response. He replied, I've not ruined Israel, but you. Got to love Elijah for his boldness. He's speaking truth to power here. Oh, that we would have more of that. He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? In other words, get off the fence. If the Lord is God, if Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's very logical. Makes a lot of sense. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, this is verse 22, Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose, the prophets of Baal, one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. That's significant. We'll get to why in just a a minute. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name name of your little G, God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. The God who answers with fire, see, that's why he said don't light it. The God who answers with fire, He is God. All the people answered, that's fine. Or yes, we agree with that. It's acceptable. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But surprise, surprise, there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. I love this part. Uh, Don't let anybody tell you God's word is boring or without humor or anything. At noon, verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. Man, I love Elijah. He mocked them. He said, Shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. (laughs) So I guess they thought, yeah, that's a good idea. So verse 28, they shouted loudly. And, and then it takes a really dark turn, they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom. Hey, great religion, right? Like, sign me up for that. That's how you get your God's attention? according to their custom, until blood gushed over them. Verse 29, all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But, again, surprise, surprise, there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. In verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. He repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Sometimes you have to do some preparation and some repair work before prayer. Sometimes there's some repairing that needs to be done. And sometimes that's why prayers go unanswered, because there's the repair work that has not been done on our part of our own lives and our own hearts for God to respond. Verse 31, Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. Verse 32, And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, and placed it on the wood. And he said, fill four water pots with water, which was a rare commodity at this time, precious thing, and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Now, anybody knows that if you want to light a fire, you need dry wood, right? So Elijah here was... Taking very specific steps to make a very undeniable point, that if this thing was going to light, it had to be God. Had to be God. He removed any attempt at any sort of trickery or you know magic or anything at all that, that could have been man made or man contrived. Not only am I not going to light it, I'm going to make it impossible for anybody to light except for God. Verse 34, then he said, a second time, and they poured water a second time. And then he said, a third time, and they doused it a third time. Verse 35, so the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. And now we get to the prayer itself. Verse 36, at the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. In other words, I didn't come up with this. This isn't from from my own imagination, my own mind. This isn't me trying to get famous or anything. This is God directing me. I'm doing all of this. I'm saying and doing all these things at God's word. God, I want the people around me to know that. Verse 37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that... Here's the reason why Elijah was praying for God to answer. It's a very specific purpose. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. You see, before the land of Israel could be restored by rain, the people of Israel... Needed to be restored by repentance. Before any sort of restoration or replenishment by rain and physical restoration could take place, they needed restoration in their hearts, their souls. They needed to be restored not by water, but by repentance. And my friends, listen, everyone, God always wants His people, all people in every age to recognize that repentance is always their biggest need. We, we have a habit of, of finding all these other things and seeing them as, as our, our need, and we, we elevate so many things as our biggest need. But your biggest need will always be repentance. We are all prone to choose sin and to chase after it in small or great ways. And so our need, our need will always be repentance. And only repentance can bring about the restoration and the renewal that we need. And we all long for. Very important to understand that. That's what Elijah was praying for. That's what God was working. That's why he was doing all that he had been doing the last three and a half years. Repentance and restoration that follows it. Well, so there's the prayer. Then verse 38. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust. I mean, it even consumed the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Talk about special effects. Whew. God was definitely showing out on this one. And rightly so, look at what happens. Verse 39, when all the people saw it, whoom! Probably, most likely, I mean, remember, drought. The rain hadn't happened yet. We're talking like blue, blue, cloudless sky. You know, cracked ground. And out of the cloudless sky, a fireball comes. So yeah, verse 39, when the people saw it, They fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! I really hope there's recorded videos of events in heaven. Because I would love to see that video. (laughs) Here's what this shows us. This prayer that we just looked at. And we just read what Elijah prayed. Here's what it teaches us. About effective prayer. You ready? Effective prayer reminds us who God is and points us back to Him. That's what effective prayer does. That's what effective prayer will always do. It reminds us who God is and points us back to Him. It does that for us personally and individually, and it's meant to do that corporately and publicly. As as I pray, if I'm praying effectively, I'm going to remember with every prayer who I'm praying to. And I'm going to be pointed back to Him and all that He is. And as I pray for other people, I'm going to be praying that they are reminded of who he is and they are pointed back to him. And as we pray publicly and corporately, here as we gather together week after week, in our prayers, we need to be reminded of who he is, who we are praying to, and we need to be pointed back to him. And so often, my fellow Christian, that's what's lacking in our prayers. We're not as mindful as we need to be of who we are praying to and what he is. And so often we are praying with half-hearted devotion. Where we are praying to Him because we know we we need to, but our hearts are still, we're straddling the fence, just like Israel. We're wavering between two loves and two devotions. And it's never going to work. Effective prayer reminds us who God is and points us back to Him. Well, let's keep reading in the account Verse 40, after their response, and I wish I could tell you it was a lasting repentance, but you know better than that already. But for now, there's a a heart and a position of repentance with the people. So Elijah capitalizes on that. Verse 40, then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat, and drink. In other words, celebrate. The drought's over. You know how to do this really well, so go ahead and do it. Go eat and drink. For there is the sound of a rainstorm. Hadn't happened yet, but Elijah knows it's coming. He believes it's coming. He's convinced of it. There is the sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. Now we're going to see, we won't actually see the words, but we know that there's now a second time of prayer that's taking place. He went up to the summit of Carmel, he bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go up and look toward the sea. So he went up, looked, and said, There's nothing. Seven times, Elijah said, Go back. And obviously, each time he's resuming that prayer and that posture of prayer where he's down on, on the ground and his face is between his knees. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And this is a great picture of how Jesus said to pray. In Matthew 7, 7, he said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you keep on, keep on, keep on. Perseverance in prayer. Verse 44, on the seventh time, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab, outran the chariot to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, as we wrap up, Even though what Elijah actually prayed in this second prayer is not mentioned for us, it still provides some very practical and applicable teaching about effective prayer. You know, i I already said that effective prayer reminds us who God is and and it points us back to Him. But we see something in this second prayer that really teaches us a lot that we need to heed and apply to our own prayer life. here's, Here's the first thing. Effective prayer is preceded by faith. Effective prayer is preceded by faith. We see that in verse 41. Elijah after the fire fell and the prophets of Baal are slaughtered, he says, Elijah or excuse me, Elijah says to Ahab, "Ahab, you better go up and you better eat and drink because there's a rainstorm coming." There's a rainstorm that's about to happen. No clouds yet, no rain, but he knows it's coming. He believes it with every fiber of his being because he knows that prayer, effective prayer, is preceded by faith. That's what needs to mark our prayer lives as well. Before we pray, we better make sure that we are full of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him in prayer, put that in parentheses, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Effective prayer is preceded by faith. Secondly, we see that effective prayer is full of humility. Effective prayer is full of humility. We see that in in his posture in verse 42, that, that as... Elijah went to pray there on the summit, he bent down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. It's a posture of absolute humility. He knows who he's praying to, and he's honoring who he's praying to, the bigness of the God he's praying to. Effective prayer is full of humility. Don't don't let your prayer be marked by arrogance, church. Don't insist that God must do something. There is a very unsettling trend within the overall church. And it goes right along with the whole word of faith heresy. And you see, here's the the fine line between having faith and having demands. There's this prevailing idea that if you have faith, sincere faith, God is obligated to do exactly what you're asking. No. No. God is sovereign, you are not. God is on the throne of the universe, and you are not. Your faith is believing that he can act in any way he so chooses, but the key is any way he so chooses. And the faith is believing that he knows best and that he is good no matter what he does or no matter what he doesn't. So, Effective prayer is preceded by faith, but it's also full of humility. And then last but not least, effective prayer is persistent. It's not a one and done thing. It's persistent and it's expectant. And oh my goodness, we often miss that one. We often miss the expectant. We pray and we pray, God, please act, please do, please respond. God, I believe you can. I believe you will. I'm praying in faith. And then when he acts, when he responds, we're often totally surprised. Like, I can't believe God answered. We're like we're like the, the people in Acts, the early church, when they were praying for Peter to be delivered from prison. And Rhoda, She sees Peter and she goes back and she says, Peter's at the gate. And they're like, no, no, you saw his spirit. He's dead. And they were praying, God, deliver Peter, spare his life. God does. He gets Peter out of jail. There's Peter. No, no way. Mm -mm. We're, We're like that. We're shocked when God actually acts. Effective prayer is persistent and it's expectant. We see that in verses 43 through 44. I mean, seven times Elijah's praying, and having seven times he's having his servant look to see if the the rain is getting ready to come, and he keeps on praying, he keeps on asking, he keeps on seeking, and then, then it happens when he sees the cloud. Before the rain, he sees the cloud, and he expects the rain is going to follow it, and sure enough, it does. Sure enough, it does. My friends, this is what needs to define our prayer life. This needs to define our prayer life. This needs to be how we pray every single time we pray. All of this. This is so practical, and it's so effective if we will do it. So let's go out and do it. Okay, Let's go out, and let's put this into practice right away, right now. And let's pray now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Elijah Thank you for his example. Thank you for what he teaches us about effective prayer. And oh, may it mark our lives. May it define our prayer lives. May we pray more in line with the way Elijah prayed. Not because he was some super prayer, but because he knew what prayer needed to include. He knew how to pray. And then he saw you respond in your goodness and in your grace and in your power. May we follow his example And may we be ready for you to respond and to act all in ways according to your perfect will and your perfect plan and your perfect time. And may we be careful to praise you and give you all the glory for how you respond and how you work. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.